to tell you that I am incredibly excited to share this interview with you is an understatement. In 2020, I was scrolling through Netflix and I saw something that deeply intrigued me. It was a documentary called Daughters of Destiny. Now, if you haven't seen this, this is a documentary about a school, but not just any school. It's about a nonprofit boarding school and home called Shanti Bhavan, a school with the sole purpose of educating the poorest of the poor children in India, with a goal of one day breaking the cycle of generational poverty, one family at a time. In this documentary, we are given the privilege to follow the stories of four girls over their life stages in the Shanti Bhavan school. And in this episode, I got to interview Ajit George, the chief operating officer at Shanti Bhavan and the son of the founder, Dr. George. I asked him everything from how they got the organization started, why the idea for a boarding school was significant to their success, how family dynamics were between the children and their families back in their home villages, and so much more. But before we dive in, here's a little bit more about Ajit George. Ajit George passionately advocates for the transformative power of education. As the Director of Operations for the Shanti Bhavan Children's Project since 2007, Ajit and his team work to alleviate severe poverty amongst the most underprivileged communities in India by giving children an intensive long-term education from the age of four until they graduate from college. The program's success is unprecedented in the nonprofit field. Shanti Bhavan's students have gone from homes without running water and electricity to Ivy League schools and post-college careers at companies like Amazon, like Deloitte, Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs, Google, and more. Ajit manages various fields of operation, including fundraising, communications, strategic planning, and volunteer and teacher recruitment. He expanded the organization's donor base through grassroots channels, foundation support, and corporate partnerships in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. He's overseen the expansion of Shanti Bhavan to include fundraising chapters in Canada, the U.K., Germany, and Australia. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. My name is Hatul Bhaman, and this is The Global Health Pursuit. Ajit, it's such an honor for me to have you on the podcast. I was just telling you, like right before I hit record, that I have been trying to speak to somebody about Shanti Baba. <laughs> For like three years now, this is the second time I launched a podcast. And so for the first round in 2020, that was when I tried to reach out to somebody. Didn't really pan out, but I'm so happy yeah. to speak to you now. It's just it's just really such an honor. And, you know, I in 2020, when I first watched Daughters of Destiny on Netflix, that was something, you know, you're flipping through Netflix and you're like, oh, what should I watch? And I saw this, the documentary, and it just completely hooked me. And I have been thinking about Shanti Bhavan for 
you know, ever since I watched that. So, I mean, I re- I do I have some questions about the the documentary, but you know, I know this idea had come from your father originally. But, you know, before we dive into that, because I'm speaking to you, Ajit, I really want to, like, you know, get your story. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were up to when mm-hmm. your dad basically said, hey, I want to I wanna build this school, yeah. this nonprofit, this huge, like, project. What were you up to? Like, what were your life plans, your goals? Yeah. When he started building the project, first of all, I thought it was, it's a, it's it's a it's great to be on. Thank you so much for being patient, <laughs> and my apologies that we haven't had an opportunity to speak er- earlier. As I was saying before we started recording, we were a pretty small organization for the most of our time, and all of our resources really were focused on the kids and the work on the ground in India. The side effect of that is sometimes we're not always able to communicate as effectively as we might like with our supporters and individuals that might be interested in talking to us. We're sort of heads down for a while. We've been able to expand a little bit in recent years. And that's, that's been really nice to, to be able to have conversations like this. So yeah. I appreciate your patience and, and your grace. And it's really wonderful to be on. When my father first started the organization, you know, I was in college. So it was, you know, it was, you know, a little bit young and still kind of figuring out things for myself. But when I think maybe the more useful kind of marker would be in 2007. In 2007, until maybe I'll rewind. My father, when he first started the organization, he funded everything. The family funded everything from our own, you know, from our own wealth. My father had mm-hmm. been a successful businessman, and he, you know, he reached a point in his life where he felt like he had accomplished what he wanted to do in the business world, and and he mm-hmm. had never really you know, acquired money or, or become successful for the sake of just having money. He wanted to make sure the family mm. was safe and secure, like, you know, like most parents and most human beings want to take care of their family. But right. beyond that, he wasn't really particularly interested in, in wealth for the sake of wealth. It didn't give him a great pleasure. He felt wealth and money were always to be used in service of a greater good. Mm. So he'd reached a point in his life and he embarked on a number of social projects, you know, I know you have a focus on on global health. And so I don't know if you're aware that we led the largest testing and treatment of lead poisoning ever done in the world. And actually that work changed the course of India in, in, in terms of introducing unleaded gasoline and mandating unleaded gasoline in India. Huge global, (laughs) huge impact on India. And then, and other countries followed suit by our findings and our work. My father led that and he funded it and he worked with the CDC and the WHO and so on. That's a very different story. And yeah, it's, okay, it's, I did not know that. So. It, it's pretty interesting. We'll still get we'll still get inquiries about it, even though it's 20 years later, we'll have like wow. news reporters talk to us about it because it was such an impact on India and such an impact on other countries. So he, he really led a lot of different initiatives and, and, and was was kind of bold in his vision. But then in 2007, a couple things happened. And the biggest one is my father was the victim of a, a Bernie Madoff type scam, a family friend that we had known since I was 12. And my father had a lot of resources invested in, kind of walked away with it all. And it mm. all came crashing down in a single day. And then shortly after, you know, the, the global 
global recession, then our housing crisis followed suit. So we were hit with these these situations, these incredible crises simultaneously, and it all came together in a, in a single day. And he called me up and asked me to come home and meet him at home, and then he laid out what had happened. And at that moment, I had to change the trajectory of my entire life to step into the role I occupy today, which is the director of operations of Shanti Bhavan. I helped build the U.S. I actually led the building of the U.S. offices, fundraising, you know, from changing it from the family, funding it entirely to to reaching out to friends and and supporters and believers in our work who'd followed us for years, but you right. know, had never been asked to step up. Now we were, and I led that. And simultaneously also led basically, you know, the unwinding of everything we had in the United States, you know, and trying to, you know, settle our debts and all of the challenges. So it was a very complex and incredibly hard time. And that's mm-hmm. when I really stepped into the role in, in a major way. Until then, I'd done a little help here and there for my father, where, as he had asked, part-time and when he had a project that he really needed extra support. But it was in that moment where I stepped into a leadership role and really guided the organization in a new direction. What were you, you said that you were in college when Shanti Bhavan was sure. kind of culminated into this yeah. idea. What were you studying? Like what was political science? I, I think there was, you know, I, I think about reinventing ourselves. I think you've reinvented yourself and you've taken, you've had chapters <laughs> in your life. And I think we, we yeah. do that. My father has had three pretty significant chapters. He was a military officer in India. He was a businessman in the United States. And now he is a social visionary in India. So I, I, at one point I wanted to be a diplomat and mm. I, I thought about that, but actually after he, you know, he started his work, I thought about the nonprofit field and I moved into that after college. I had a real passion for writing too. And in mm. a different life, I think I might've pursued, you know, writing for, for a career. And who knows that, you know, we, we have chapters in our life and I think maybe in, in the future, I'll never, never leave Shanti Bhavan because Shanti Bhavan has become more been a job for me. It, it really has mm-hmm. truly become a calling, a mission for me. I've seen something greater than myself in it. And I think sometimes that's what we are looking for as human beings is to find something that is bigger than ourselves and, and to, to, to devote our lives to that thing that is greater than ourselves. And so the organization, the work I do is greater than myself and I, and I love it and I find great meaning through it. So I'll never leave the organization, but I think there'll always be opportunities to, to engage my mind and engage my heart in other areas as well. So I want to dive into what exactly Shanti Bhavan is. For anybody who doesn't know or what Shanti Bhavan is and why it was created, can you give us kind of like a little bit of a brief overview? Sure. At its core principles, Shanti Bhavan is a, is a poverty alleviation program. And it uses education as a vehicle, but it is much more than education. It's much more than the boarding school that it is. It's much more than the classrooms or, or the textbooks. Shanti Bhavan's end goal is the uplifting of the most marginalized, most discriminated, and most impoverished individuals in India. And education is the tool that we use that. So as a structure, Shanti Bhavan is a boarding school, a thir- beautiful 30-acre campus, that is nearly 100% solar powered, but uses deep well water and has its own organic farms where about about 70, 75% of all food that we consume on campus is grown at. So we're very sustainable and we're, we're very thoughtful about how we engage with our environment. 
we, we have our own fresh milk from cows on campus. And so we're really mindful about it. Every child that comes to Shanti Bhavan comes from the most discriminated and impoverished populations around, uh, around the school, mostly in the states of Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, though we have actually children from all over India. And they come to us at the age of three and a half, four years old. And they're coming from families that make less than $2 a day, you know, and who for generations have been at the, at the bottom of the pyramid. You know, they may be sex workers, they may be latrine cleaners or, 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 you know, day laborers who are breaking quarry, breaking stones in quarry for 12, 10, 12 hours a day. They come from very challenging backgrounds. And have been for, for more than one generation. It's multiple generations. They're trapped in this poverty. We give preference to single parent and single mother households, often because single mothers need that extra help. They have multiple right. children and it helps them to have a child in the program. But they're also more devoted to the child's education and are much less likely to pull out the child from the program. So they start with us at the age of three and a half, four years old in preschool. And they stay with us in this boarding school environment, this really enriched boarding school environment until they graduate from 12th grade. And then upon graduating from high school, we either help them secure scholarships or we pay for their college. And that includes room and boarding, food, clothing, medical, everything. You know, we cover everything, even from the very beginning of life. Or we help them get a scholarship, either in India or in the United States. In the U.S., the you know, colleges in the U.S. have been a little bit newer for us, but in the last several years, we've gotten kids into... A couple of days ago, we found out one of our kids got into Princeton, an early decision. <gasps> wow! Yeah, amazing, right? So Princeton, Stanford, Dartmouth, Duke, Middlebury, University of Rochester, and they're they're getting really great grades, like 3.5, 3.7. You know, they're, they're competing with the best and the best in the world at, at, at the high, highest levels and are doing really, really well. And they're securing internships at top companies while they're doing so. So it's been exciting to see that trajectory. It really proves that our kids are not just good for their communities or their villages. And they're not just good for their state or even just good for India. They're good on a global mm-hmm. level. Like they compete mm-hmm. with the best of the best around the world on an even playing field. And they can they can hold their own. So that's the educational model. The secondary part of that model, though, for Shanti Bhavan is while they're at Shanti Bhavan, we teach them not just the hard skills of math and science, but we also do the soft skills of interview or public speaking or, you know, how, how to how to hold themselves in with dignity in social circles that may be challenging or uncomfortable for them because they're, you know, people from wealthier communities. So right. we give them the tools to, to navigate in any community or any circumstance or any workplace. So that's another really important component that is often absent from schools because schools don't think about those soft skill elements. And the third and final component is a, a, a thoughtful you know, interaction with the kids about their social and civic responsibility to the community, to mm-hmm. their families, to their communities, and to the larger world. That, they, that their education and everything they have in front of them is because other people cared. Other people gave. Other people stepped up. Other people believed in them and wanted a better future for them. Other people felt felt, felt the world was unfair to them and, and wanted mm-hmm. to even the even the, the the playing field. And they didn't maybe owe those people anything back, but they did owe those people to do something good for others. Right? Pay it forward as others. First and foremost, of course, the families who are, who are hugely challenging circumstances, but then their communities, and then 
you know, others wherever they, they might find a need. So they they really do study and they think about some of the largest social issues of the day and they're thoughtful about it. And, uh, you know, they'll start debating climate change at a young age and, and talking about it wow. and investigating it and, and really immersing themselves in, in some of the biggest issues of our t- day right now. So it's a really complex component. There's mm-hmm. so many elements to Shantibhavan. On the surface, you think of it as school, but we're really their guardians and their caregivers and their supporters throughout, you know, all of their lives from the first day of school. I have so many questions around that. I think... One of my first questions is, I'm sure you got this a lot, like the question of why education, you know, in terms of there are multiple ways to, quote unquote, lift somebody out of poverty or lift a family out of poverty. You could give them job security. You can, you know, there's education. There's so many different avenues. But when your father, Dr. George, thought about, you know, a school and then bringing children in at the age at three and four, so young, like without even, I guess, they're not really even realizing, you know, at that point that, hey, oh, I'm, I'm being brought into this school for this greater reason. What was the reasoning behind the education part of it? And then the the boarding school part of it? It's not even it's not just a day school, it's a boarding school, you know, Sure. I mean, I think education is is the greatest tool to to combat poverty and, and to do it in a systemic way. The the challenges that the 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 poor of India, and when you think about the communities we're talking about, we're talking you know India is what one point two one point three billion people, and mm-hmm. out of that, you know maybe a quarter, you know two hundred and fifty million or so are middle class or in the you know doing a bit better, but the majority of that population, several hundred million are in extreme poverty and facing complex challenges. And most of it is the inability to find upward mobility through employment. There, there mm-hmm. just isn't going to be jobs for them, particularly in this fast moving world where, where technology continues to demand higher and higher, you know, prowess and skills and, and knowledge. So education was really, I think I'm a strong believer that education yeah. is the cornerstone to self-empowerment. And I think teachers are unsung heroes. So I'm a very strong believer in that. And I've seen it firsthand watching watching the kids and wa- watching the kids and watching those who have not gone to our program and, and go to very poor schools, what, what that difference mm. is. So we believe in education, but we didn't just believe in like basic education. And, and here's a bias and a, 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 and a conscious bias that I think a lot of us from you know, middle class or upper middle class backgrounds to have. We believe in giving a little bit of money to the poor and we believe that we, we want the poor not to suffer, but we also mm-hmm. unconsciously think they're only capable of getting so far. We're like, oh, you know, you got a C minus on your grades. It's okay. You, you, mm. you got a D on your math. Like, that's okay. I get that, you know, multiplication is very difficult, so it's okay. You don't do well. And we have this glass ceiling for the poor in terms of the quality of education and the expectations out of them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we have a very different mindset. We want to give the very best education we possibly can. Our curriculum is actually the toughest curriculum in India, the ICSC and ISC boards. It's a private organization and it's the most challenging. And we have the most demanding standards out of our kids. We're, we, very, we push hard on them for high grades and to perform 
much in much in the way that many middle class and upper class Indian parents might demand of their, of their kids, right? <laughs> I'm sure you, yep. you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, so when you believe in a child and they know that you believe in them, and then you give them the resources to meet that belief, they will step up. They will feel empowered. They will seize that moment and they will, we will do something important with it. And that's what we've seen year after year for 26 years that we've run Shanti Bhavan. Hmm. They, they really do capture what we have given them. And they, they, they are grateful for that, that we believe in them. And they are grateful for the empowerment and the opportunity given to them. So that's why we use education. As for why we do a boarding school environment and why we do it so we, why we start the kids so young. Over 95% of the children come from families that have an alcoholic family member. Mm-hmm. Over 80% have some sort of physical or sexual abuse happening in the family. A majority of the, the houses or the, the homes that they come from have an a absence of either running water in the house or electricity or both or a toilet and often a, a limited or meager food supply that does not have you know the basic nutrients a child should need. So malnutrition is high. For those reasons, we start the child early. We want to give them a loving, safe, and nurturing environment. We want to give them the food and health care that they need. We want to remove them from sites of trauma mm. and to give them a, a, a place where they will grow up with other children from similar backgrounds, but protected and safe and encouraging so that their mind and their brain can develop in, in the greatest way possible, that, that it does not get damaged or it does not get limited early, that their bodies, their souls are not harmed in, in the, the most critical and early stages of development. And the boarding school environment allows us to control certain things not just their safety and well-being, but, you know, for instance, none of the kids have cell phones or smartphones on campus. They have very limited access to the internet and the internet access they are limited to are educational or research purposes, anything in service of their education, but it's not social media sites. And what we have noticed because of the absence of of both smartphones and social media sites is that our kids are much more imaginative. They're much more engaged in the day-to-day. They're, they're socially more com- engaged with one another. They have a stronger community spirit. They have more ties with one another. Their mental well-being is, is higher. We're seeing all these markers versus what we have seen in maybe, you know, U.S. and European or even other Asian, you know, environments where there is unrestricted access to smartphones and social media. I do want to get into the mental health aspect of things, but the first I wanted to, I wanted to go back to the beginning stages of Shanti Bhavan and then like also connecting with those communities at first, right? Like I can imagine there was some type of, some difficulty in terms of building trust with these families and these communities to say, Hey, I'm going to take your child and I'm, I'm going to raise this child as my own in this school and and you have to trust us that this is going to bring a great future for this child and for your family can you tell us about like how that for the first stages of just like you know bringing people together into this mission like from these communities how was that Yes, that, that was really challenging at first for all the reasons that you've explained that they didn't know who we were 
Um, mm-hmm. And the documentary, I think, kind of touches on how they thought we might be we might be kidnapping their kids. Maybe yeah. we're going to do organ harvesting. They had all sorts of wild rumors about what we might be doing or that we might be trying to convert their kids to a different religion. They didn't know. And we are a non-sectarian institution, so no conversion, nothing of that sort. Yeah. But they really didn't know about who we were, and it took a long time. And I'll be honest, it didn't, it didn't, it was not easy for the first few years. We had a lot of conversations with the parents. We had them come to the campus. We got them to see what we were doing. We had right. them understand, but we had a lot of parents refuse to send their kids to us. We had a lot of kids, parents pull out their kids in the first few years. We had high attrition mm. for the first several years of the institution because parents would pull their children out. So it was quite the challenge. What won them over was genuinely our success. The parents started mm-hmm. to see a transformation in their kids that was pretty radical. And, and everything from their their mastery of different languages, including English, to how they hold it, held themselves with confidence, you mm-hmm. know, having walk, walk through some of the poorest villages in, in India, I will see sort of a lifelessness in the faces and the eyes of children at a very young age. You can, you can kind of tell that they they have given up on life, that they don't expect much, and there isn't much of a future for them. And they somehow instinctively know it, right? It's written mm. in their faces. Our children, their faces are so different, full of life, so full of excitement, full of belief in themselves, healthy, whole. And that that transformation, I think, really won over the parents. In recent years, it's actually just been the kids as almost ambassadors in their communities. They are so much a standout in their successes and their capabilities of giving back to their communities at early ages. At 12, 13, they're negotiating with, with you know, some of the panchayat elders of the village or, or with some of the government officials for better sewage or better streets or, or lighting or, or, or different basic necessities. And they're able to do this and they're able to help their parents negotiate contracts and they're able to help translate for the parents things that they don't understand or work with the banks for, for loans, all of these things. And that they're just living proof of what we're doing. And that has helped tremendously in winning over, you know, parents, future parents of kids. That's powerful. I think, I think my, my next question is, you know, after you win these parents over and, you know, we've seen this in the documentary where, you know, Shanti Bhavan brings in one child from a family and this family might have three or four kids, maybe more. You know, I can imagine that this can bring like about so many different feelings, you know, good feelings, bad feelings, jealousy, pride, confusion. Can you tell us some stories that may have like affected you personally in this you know, in, in bringing this child, but then also kind of leaving behind yeah. the other children. I think that, I think that the challenge has always been a complex one for the organization and we've wrestled with it deeply, you know, in a perfect world with unlimited resources, we, we've had right. educate every child. And so what we have is an impossible decision ahead of us where we can give all of the resources to a single family where every single child is educated and then all of the families around them get nothing. Or we can try to mm. take a child from each family in the community. And all of them are uplifted. But maybe a sibling in the family doesn't get the same education and the same help. Right. And that, that, is, that is a very complex challenge that we wrestle with. 
I do think it's more important maybe to frame it for the good that has happened, right? In, in Daughters of Destiny, there was a very mm-hmm. specific example of a very, very specific assembling of Shelpas who had took a different right. trajectory. And there are two things for me that, because I've seen a couple of cases, not never that extreme, but in fact, that's probably the most extreme case that, that, that mm, has ever happened. Okay, that's good to know. But we've seen other trajectories where a sibling has, their lives have gone, you know, have not gone really well. That is a testament to actually the, why it's so important for Shanti Govan, right? Because you can almost, it's, it's almost like those, those longitudinal studies that scientists do on twins, where you, you mm. see one twin going in one direction, one going other, and you sort of know, actually, this is important because this is what will happen if a child doesn't have an education that, that they need. Right. right? So th- that helps us. In many ways, it, empower, it, it fuels a fire for us who, who work at Shanti Bhavan to keep to the mission because we can understand what does happen to a child if they're not here. The second part that I think about is sort of the complex trajectory of siblings. And as I grew up, when I grew up, my parents were actually pretty modest in the wealth that they had. They, they, were, they were immigrant parents that were kind of fighting to kind of establish themselves. And so I grew up with <laughs> a very modest household and their wealth kind of grew as in over time into my teen years. I was also the first child born in the U.S., so my parents were very restrictive. <laughs> my younger brother, who there's an eight-year difference between the two of us, was one of the last children born in the U.S. from you know both sides of my family, my mother's side and my father's side. And mm-hmm. my parents had also acquired a lot more wealth by that point. So I was watching him have lots of freedoms I never had, and I would watch him have all sorts of like cool things that I never had access to. Oh, <laughs> and I would look at this and go, what the hell? This is completely unfair. Dang it. <laughs> it, it was, I was really frustrated and really, you know, like really conflicted about it because I did have actually yeah. a pretty complicated relationship with my parent parents as I try to straddle two worlds, America and what it was to be an American and what it was to be in a very traditional Indian household. I think that Example is sort of the, the example of the, the kids at Shanti Bhavan writ large. Mm-hmm. My brother and I are, are really close now, and we have been able to like come together as we've, we've entered adulthood. When the Shanti Bhavan kids are there, in the sibling, when they're siblings, there are sometimes deep tensions and resentments there. No doubt about it. For another set of kids, though, that's not the case. In fact, actually, the siblings are quite close, even though they have very different lives. And that's usually mm-hmm. because the Shanti Bhavan child is very kind and helpful to their sibling when they go back home, educate them, support mm-hmm. them, encourage them, teach them what they've learned. And that really empowers them. But what we have noticed almost without fail is that when the Shanti Bhavan children enter the workforce and are able to like generate income and we're able to really help their families, those sibling rifts start to heal. And mm. even though they have different trajectories, the Shanti Bhavan child is able to really empower and help their siblings in pretty significant ways. And that has, I think that is the greatest lesson to take out of it. And, and if you don't mind, I'll, I have a quote that kind of captures a little bit of this and also captures in stark relief the deep complexities of, of yeah. what the Shanti Bhavan children are, are facing. So this is from a young lady who graduated, who is, well, maybe I'll tell her age after I finish the quote. So she graduated from Shanti Bhavan 12 years ago. My first job out of college was at Amazon, where I worked for two years. I covered house, the house rent, the cost of basic necessities. 
my father's de-addiction expenses, my mother's medical bills, and my brother's education. However, the four of us still lived in a single room with one shared bathroom and a kitchen. Mm. After Amazon, I changed jobs to work at VF Corporation, a leading apparel and footwear company. With an increase in my salary, I moved my family out of the slum into a safer environment with a regular supply of water and electricity. Mm. I continue to pay for my brother to attend school, and I support my, my aunt and my three cousins with their education since their father, my uncle, was murdered. Hmm. I've gone on to do my MBA with the help of Shantabhavan, and I've been hired by Google. My father passed away from health complications due to his alcoholism, and I am now the sole income earner for my family, supporting six others. This young lady is just turned 27. Wow. There's a quote. There is a quote on the website that also says these graduates make more in the first five years of their career than their parents will in a lifetime. And that speaks to what you're saying right now. Yeah. And one of the things I would love to take away from that is her younger brother loves her and is so grateful for the education. He's just started college, would never reach college, much less graduated Mm -hmm. from finished high school without her. But because she was able to support his education, keep him in there, even move him to a private school so that he would... He would actually focus on his education, get him a better education. Not a great part of school, but a little bit better than he was. He was in a, in a government school before, and she got a, you know a, a little bit of a better school. It changed his trajectory, and they're they're quite close now. I, I was talking to her a couple months ago, and she was telling me that the relationship with her brother and her nieces and nephews are strong. And I think it's a complex trajectory. Shall we? There's there's moments where there's rifts, and there's moments of right. of, of, of jealousy or rivalry. And there's a moments of intense love and gratitude and thankfulness for for what has happened. So it's always complicated. Yeah, I mean, I did have the privilege to speak with one of the alum, but she was saying how she actually is in the States now. And she was saying that, you know, she lives in three different worlds. She has the world of Shanti Bhavan, which she will never, you know, that's her family. That's where she grew up. But then the world of her village in India, and then now her world in the U.S. So it's like a careful balance of all of that. Sure. Wow. In terms of you know, bringing in a child at age three or four and then kind of bringing them up in Shanti Bhavan, do you ever, do you ever witness these kids? I want to, I want to word this in the right way. Like almost like the, the pressure of, you know, having to pay it forward and the pressure of being that, like the chosen one, you know, and that, that feeling of, oh, I have to do something because I was chosen to come to Shanti Bhavan. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the pressure is not so much that they're the chosen one or they have to do something. It's more the practical realities that they face when they graduate from college and are, are, are looking at the enormity of what lies ahead of having to write the, the financial challenge problems of their family one young man, he graduated from college and shortly after his father committed suicide. 
because his mm-hmm. father was in such huge debt. And debts are actually family debts are the, one of the probably the biggest challenge the, the, the children face. And after that, probably housing. Mm-hmm. They have their families, the parents and grandparents have accumulated debts from, you know, illicit money lenders for generations and, and have exorbitant interest rates. And so they're facing right. these huge debts and threats of violence if they don't pay off this money. So that, that is the right. complexity. So when I think about the challenges they face, it is often it is often the practical reality of life that they face that, that is the greatest challenge in front of them. And that mm-hmm. is never an easy one. But I, I recall my own moment when my father laid out the enormity of what we had to face to keep Shanti Bhavan and all of those kids in school if we mm-hmm. close the school, all of these kids would go home and we they would never or we would never fulfill the promise to them. All of these people who 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 relied on us for a salary and, and, and to 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 you know keep them employed in India. And then of course our own family and all the hardships. And I will tell you the first thing I felt was gripping fear, mm. sheer terror at what I had to, at what we were facing. And probably the greatest lesson out of that is in great crisis, human beings have kind of a couple of choices. And one is to run away from fear and terror. And one is to, <laughs> to, 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 to just stride through it. And I won't tell you it was easy. I won't tell you I, I was fully confident. I will just tell you that in my enormous discomfort and pain and struggle, I learned something about my resilience and the strength I had, the strength I was capable of. And what I had inside of me that I could tap and how I could change. Maybe it lay dormant. Maybe I didn't even know it existed inside of me mm-hmm. until that moment where I was faced to, and I had to call upon it. I think that that's what you see with a lot of these Shantabam kids. They say it's tough. It's tough as hell those first years. But then they, they say that they're so much stronger and they're so much more resilient. That they, they are grateful for Shantabam and for all it's done and given them. Because it's given an incredible resource and education and a base and it built them up, but it also protected them for all those years. And now right. they're entering the real world and they're facing it and they're they're kind of they're they're shedding maybe the, the, some of their youthfulness and some of their naivete about the world and, and now they're embracing the fullness of the complexity of what it means to be an adult. So since opening the doors in nineteen ninety seven, um there's obviously been amazing growth. I did want to touch upon the Netflix documentary because I thought that that documentary was, I feel like it was brilliantly done in the sense that you're following four girls throughout their life stages at Shanti Bhavan. Who had the idea for that documentary? Who came up with that? And then the idea of following four girls, it's just, yeah. Mind blowing. I wish <laughs> I wish I could take some credit, but I, I had we it was genuinely an independent documentary and so we had very we had I wouldn't say very little control, we had no control <laughs> over the documentary except to agree. Hmm. It it started with a, a former volunteer who loved working at Chanty Bowman and when she came back to Brooklyn, she talked to her next door neighbor, or I don't know if they were next door neighbors, but close neighbors, um, by the name of Vanessa Roth, who was the, the the film director for the documentary. And Vanessa reached out to me and asked if we could take a meeting and whether I'd be interested in a documentary film on us. And so we, we met for coffee in New York and talked about it. 
And she laid it out very clearly to me. She'd, ha- she'd already won an Oscar for a previous work, and she was an independent uh, documentary filmmaker. And she said, hey, you know, I'm interested in doing a film, a feature-length film, but it's going to be hands-off, and you have no control over it. And that, <laughs> those are the terms of the deal. And wow. I was like, great. So that was very intense. And so I, I actually looked at her work to see, is this going to be like a gotcha kind of film? Are they looking for mm. the, like the most dramatic moments where, you know we're looking terrible or it just eats, it feeds like either the algorithm about what looks great for clickbait. Clickbait, yeah. 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 And so what I noticed is it was actually very thoughtful and her her approach was very thoughtful, very methodical and very measured. And I really appreciated her work. So I agreed to sign up and we we provided no funds, right? So she's independent. She's, she's raising the funds on her own. She's kind of doing the filming and she started and she started filming and continued filming and, you know, years are passing by and we're like, you know, at a certain point you start, you almost forget about it. And you're like, maybe this project I'll get finished. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Right. And then it must have been 2014, 2015, something like that. She reached 20, maybe 2014. I don't remember exactly when, but she reaches out and she says, Hey, so I'd love to talk to you about having Netflix take over the film. You know, I'm still the director and producer and so on, but they're, They'll own the film and they'll put it on Netflix. This is before Netflix really became big on the streaming side. So we didn't have a lot of background or knowledge, but she, we, I did know she came from Hollywood, Hollywood royalty. Her father is Eric Roth and he was the screenwriter for Forrest Gump and won an Oscar for Forrest wow. Gump, Munich, The Insider, the first Dune movie and so many other movies. He's, he's done some of the biggest movies in Hollywood. He was the screenwriter for he was also the executive producer for House of Cards. And so he knew wow. a lot about Netflix and their streaming. And he made an introduction to the team with Net- with Vanessa. And so Vanessa and them talked it over and I got was looped into the, the conversation. But basically, we our part was just to sign off an agreement to allow this mm-hmm. to happen. And so that's how it evolved. Vanessa did actually film lots of kids, including boys, but she gravitated towards the girls and their stories and their their mothers. And she really felt like there was a story mm-hmm. between the girls in Shanti Bhavan and their mothers back at home. And, and that's what she, mm-hmm. after, after seven years of filming, because, you know, the, the documentary series is four hours. She must have 400 hours worth of footage of us. And so she was really, it's really about finding the threads in, in that great body of work. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, for it to be on Netflix, I can imagine how much traction you may have gotten after people saw the Netflix documentary, yeah. right? Like, what what was that growth like after it was put on Netflix? What did you see? It, it was it was really exciting. I think what we saw was just a lot of people stepping up and saying, oh, I never knew you existed. I never knew something like yeah. this was possible. I never knew this was out there and folks just being really generous and stepping up to donate, believing in our work, believing in what we're trying to do, trying to help in any way they can, you know, mostly donating, but sometimes making connections to other folks who could donate, even if they couldn't donate, or sometimes coming out to volunteer on campus or sending supplies to us in India, you know, just in so many different ways, or in some cases, you know, you know, successful professionals in the US or, or in India being willing to be mentors to our our young mm-hmm. adults and help them, you know, you know, nurture their careers. So lots of different ways it really helped the organization and, and very particularly and very meaningfully helped our kids. And then on, on your website, you say that to date, we've 
Shanti Bhavan has positively impacted over 15,000 lives. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's also including like the community members and their families and all of that. That's correct. Yeah, there's a lot of things we do beyond, I think we should, you know, there's, we could probably spend a few hours talking about all the different things that Shanti Bhavan does, because it does beyond the education. And so that includes, you know, the impact on the families. We we do very deep alumni reports. That quote that I gave you was actually Mm -hmm. from our latest alumni report, as the alumni were kind of giving us data and feeding information about how many kids, how many human beings they had impacted. So we're kind of tracking almost this web of, of impact. But we also give food and medical supplies to the surrounding villages around Shanti Bhavan. We really ramped it up during COVID because they were in dire circumstances, Mm -hmm. um, had no aid, had no jobs, had no access to, to resources. So you know, the 15,000 is probably a really underreported number. I think it's significantly larger because we continue to give food and supplies regularly. We also give daily meals from because from our food that we grow ourselves. We give daily meals to the elderly in the surrounding villages, especially the elderly have no one else to care for them. So right. We do a lot. And so that that's sort of a that marker indicates the huge the web. impact of Shanti Bhavan. Well, Ajit, thank you so much for this time i'm i'm so grateful to highlight shanti bhavan i mean it's also it's close to my heart because obviously my family's from india as well and i'm always looking for ways to give back you know in that sense too the last question i want to ask you is you know how can others learn more about shanti bhavan you know obviously first go to netflix watch the documentary you know give it's just so beautifully done. But yeah, how can others learn more about Shanti Bhavan if they want to volunteer, maybe even get in touch with the team? Yeah, I think the first one is to watch the documentary Daughters of Destiny. I think it will really help them understand what we're about. There's also a really great NPR article. I don't know if you've read it. It's, it the title of it's called These Four College Freshmen from India Have a Remarkable mm. Story to Tell. And I would really recommend folks read that because that... that says from the kids' own words about their lives and where they went and where they came from and where they are now. And it's really beautiful. But you can come to our website at shantibhavanchildren.org and, you know, get involved that way. Donate, you know, apply to volunteer or reach out and help us in any way. It would be really great. You can follow us on, on Facebook and Instagram. So we've got accounts there. It's just Shanti Bhavan, Shanti Bhavan Children's Project is, is the name of the organization. So just look for the Shanti Bhavan Children's Project or shantibhavanchildren.org. And you know, we'd love to hear from you. And share this podcast as well. Yes, definitely. All of the links will be in the show notes. So make sure to check that out as well. Thank you so much, Ajit. Thank you, Heather. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There, you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.